This is Framework Leadership. Well, it's exciting to be able to introduce our next guest, who happens to be the CEO of Delta Airlines. Now, when you fly Delta, he will greet you every single flight right before you take off. Not only will he welcome you aboard that flight, uh, not only will you have the safety uh, uh, shared with you, how, how you can be safe, but he's going to tell you about Delta and the culture and what's important with that team of over 80,000 strong worldwide. It is a privilege to welcome. He has been the CEO for, well, he's been with the company now about 20 years. Before that, he used to be the CEO at Northwest Airlines and now with Delta. So would you welcome Ed Bastian to the stage this morning? Good morning. By the way, I, I want to tell you, I am a loyal frequent flyer of Delta. As is everyone in this room, I bet, too. <laughs> Hopefully. Absolutely. And, well, after today, they will be. And uh, in fact, I, I want to thank you for your generosity of miles, because in two weeks, I'm going to be able to take my entire family on spring break vacation because of Delta Airline Miles. So thank, thank you, you for that. Thank you. One of the... Uh, now, one of the favorite things I love about flying with Delta is the Delta cookies, the Biscoff cookies, right? Everybody love those Biscoff. In fact, how many would like some Biscoff cookies right now? Would you like that? I'm going to ask our volunteers to, to bring out some Biscoff cookies that we can enjoy while we're having this, uh, this interview this morning. That'd be great. That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> They didn't tell me this far. I know, we, 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 we wanted to make sure everybody enjoyed a little piece of what's great about flying on, on Delta Airlines. Well, thank you again for joining us and, and, and making time to be with us, appreciate. I think what's so wonderful about these moments and opportunities, we get to hear from great leaders who have uh, experienced a lot in life and can give us insight and, and help us along the journey. Now, uh, I, I want to ask you this. I want to start, and we're going to get into and unpack some of the unique leadership uh, issues that relate to uh, what you've had to face and, and what relate to uh, uh, the challenges as, as you are a company leader. But, but I'd like to kind of start out, what was it like being a kid growing up in, in New York? And then, I mean, that journey of becoming, you know, I mean, you're talking about being the head of one of the world's largest companies. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Well, I'm, uh, I'm from New York, upstate New York, and uh, one of nine kids, so I had a lot of incentive to get out of a house real quick and start making some money and, and kind of find my own, my own platform. I, uh, spent, uh, I've been in Atlanta now 20 years with Delta, uh, but I started my career in the financial business in New York City and uh, had six, I worked as an accountant with Price Waterhouse, the, uh, the accounting firm, and then moved over to a uh, beverage company called PepsiCo. It's not very popular in Atlanta, you know, being big Coke, <laughs> Coke country. So I, I tell people it's Pepsi with a small P that I used to work for in Frito-Lay and then joined Delta about 20 years ago. It's a, it's a wonderful culture, wonderful company. Uh, growing up in a big family and growing up around people and understanding the importance of taking care of people is, is kind of, I was born with that and so it's probably natural that I'm at the airline. 
Now, now you went to St. Bonaventure. Uh, St. Bonaventure University. We were in the NCAAs this year for the first time in a long time. We won a game, even. You know, yes, with, already. Uh, we lost to your Gators last night. So, at, uh, you know, go Gators, I guess, at this point here. So you can take it forward. I am a Bulldog fan, though. I've got to admit that. Now you, you, I'm sorry. <laughs> you graduated uh, with, with a business degree uh, or a business administration. Uh, at what point did you... I mean, was there a catalyst moment? At what, what point did you, you want to kind of go into the corporate business world? What, what created that, that passion? I wanted to make money. Ah. <laughs> it was really, it was really, I came from, a, from a, a good background, but you know, we're you know, the kind of middle class background, a lot of kids, a lot of happening, and I wanted to go out and make my mark in the world. And so I was always attracted. I think I grew up, I had an analytical mind. I had a good mind for math. I never, I never envisioned I'd be doing this. I, I, uh, I tell people, one of, one of the great joys I had in my career, I got to do the commencement speech at the University of Georgia about five years ago. My daughter was graduating, and they asked me to do the commencement speech. And I told the kids at that point the importance of following your dreams and your passions because at the time when I graduated from college I never even stepped foot on an airplane so how could I ever have known I'd, I'd wind up in this in this position so it was my passions and following my instinct and having a lot of confidence uh, in yourself in your ability and taking chance and taking chance on yourself I think got me uh, got me to where I'm at yeah so, so tell us a little bit about that journey from graduation to actually uh, applying and starting at Delta, what what along the way uh, pushed that forward? Well, I was a, um, I, 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 my mom, I think, is the person I'd attribute a lot of my, my personal and professional success to. She was a uh, highly optimistic, highly positive person, always taught us to believe in ourselves and gave us the, that nudge that we needed when we needed to keep, uh, keep moving forward. Uh, Worked a lot in the business world with, with, the, uh, with the accounting firm I mentioned, Pricewaterhouse, started to develop an international career uh, through Frito-Lay and Pepsi, where I, where I was, was then. And I was traveling so much on international journeys and away from home so much, I figured I already worked for, an, it seemed like I worked for an airline anyway, so when the opportunity came and Delta called and asked if I'd be interested in joining them, I thought I already know how this business works since I'm a customer and a passenger for so many, I was, I was the ultimate uh, medallion member on, on several different airlines at that point in the journey. So I said, let, let me try my hand at trying to fix this business. Of course, when you join something that you don't really know that much about, you learn an awful lot from it. And I have learned a lot. And we, we have made an awful lot of good changes going forward. So that's how I got here. Now, a lot of people may not know this, but for about six months, and I, be I believe it was back in 2004, but you actually left the company. What, what caused you to make that shift? But then what drew you back in so quickly? Well, I was in, um, I had been at the company for about five or six years and we were doing, you know, we were, we were wobbling. 9-11 really put us on our heels, uh, the industry, not just Delta. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's hard to imagine now with the success we've had, but the, the, uh, a week after 9-11 happened, almost all of our international business evaporated, literally overnight. And we had to lay off 15,000 people that next week. I mean, you, you lay off 15,000 people, that will sear you for life. You'll remember what that was like. And it's one of the, one of the things I take, um, you know, I, I'll never forget what we had to go through to get the company back. And then the, the, the great news and all that is all those 15,000 people within 10 years, we were able to bring them all back and wow. restore their pay and, and get, them, get them into a position now of, of growth and, and great success in our profit sharing plan, which I'll talk in a minute about, is, is continuing to reward them. But in that, in that journey, uh, the company had been making some very pretty tough 
decisions. I'm not sure the best decisions. I wasn't in the top leader position at that point. I was more of a, a mid-level mid manager. And um, I, my voice wasn't being heard on some of I think we weren't being true to the values that we had as an organization. I think we were to, you know, underestimating the power of our people and the power of our culture. And I thought I couldn't be around the company any longer, so I decided to, uh, to leave the company. And fortunately, six months later, they called me back and they said, you know, we think you, you, you were onto the right thing. Will you come back and implement what you said? And I had a chance to do that and I haven't, uh, haven't stopped. Now, 80,000 strong uh, as far as the team. Making it to the C-suite, I mean, Seems like an impossible task when you think about that many. How, how, did, you lead, how did you navigate that world from, from a VP actually up to CEO? Well, when I came back to the company, I came back as the chief financial officer and I led the restructuring of the company. So I uh, had the opportunity to, and, and chapter 11 gives companies, as it does individuals in, in our country, uh, legally a fresh start, a chance to kind of Give it, give it a second go, which we all need in life, right? I mean, we, we all get turned upside down for some reason and stuff happens and the company found itself in a, in a bad way in certain respects. And so the, they gave me the opportunity, gave me the, uh, the, the keys to, to run the bankruptcy process and the restructuring process, which, which we did. And I thought, I think we were very successful in getting through that process. And in a pretty quick time period, we went and acquired Northwest Airlines shortly thereafter. And I went up to Northwest and ran Northwest Airlines Airlines for a while and brought it back into Atlanta. And so along that journey, I had opportunities to prove myself and, and, and take chance on myself. And I'd, I'd never led a restructuring before. I had never been into a bankruptcy before. I had never uh, led a large airline before. But when the, the moment came, I, you know, I said yes. And I think that's a big part of it. You know, you, you're always not sure that you're ready. Uh, and that's a good sign that you are ready. Yeah. So uh, the discipline, the disciplines, because to prepare and to be ready. Um, how, what are the things that you do in discipline to frame your life to be able to get to the next level? Uh, the discipline has to be a big part of it. You know, you have to be very structured in how you think about things. You have to have a focus and have your priorities in the right place at all times. One of the things about the airline industry is you know, we're, we're constantly faced with change. There, there's, there's many things coming at us on, on, a, on not just a, a political scale, an international scale that we, we face and impacts our business and how we we operate, and if you don't have a, a priority and a framework and a structure and how you manage your life and manage your business, uh, those, those winds of change will knock you down. <clears throat> but if you have your feet solidly planted and you got your foundational set and you got your priorities focused and you continue to power through, that persistence and that will to succeed is what I think is one of the most important determinants of success in, in life as a whole, and certainly in the business world, and it certainly has been for me. What would be the greatest value that you have that allows you to recognize opportunity when it's right in front of you? Well, it's, it's having confidence in your ability to capture it. You know, I think there's, there's you know, as, as I said earlier, you, you, you see opportunities and you're never quite sure that that's the right decision. You know, there's no, there's, nothing, is, nothing is certain in, in life. And you've got to become very good in the business world at making decisions 
And I think that's one of the things my career, my upbringing allowed me to do. You, you, you make decisions, you learn from decisions, you make bad decisions, it's okay. Uh, as long as you recover from them quickly and you learn from them. Uh, I was speaking to a group yesterday in Atlanta and I said that, you know, if, if the only all the decisions you're making in life are the right ones, I'd argue you're not making very bold decisions. Oh. You're not taking much of a chance. You're not displaying a whole lot of courage. And it's, it's in, in learning from what you go through and the experiences allows you to make better decisions and become a stronger leader. And then you see those opportunities. And when you see those opportunities, you run towards them. And you, and you continue to learn. You know, I, I'm, I, I look at myself as a learner. I, I, I'm still learning. I've got a lot, I've been CEO now of Delta three years and uh, I, I learn every single day about, about our company and our people and I love that. Give us an example of one of those decisions that you stepped out there on uh, to seize that opportunity. Well, one of the decisions we, we, uh, we made, which the, uh, the, a lot of people in the company were, were uh, and the, the, the business committee looked at a little interestingly, is we decided to buy an oil refinery about five years ago up in, outside of Philadelphia. And it's, it's a refinery that had been closed. It's a hundred, it was a 100-year-old facility. It had been closed. Uh, a lot of people were unfortunately put out of work. We were able to bring all those people back in, got the refinery turned on, and allowed us to improve not only the amount of jet fuel supply we had to, to bring to our planes, particularly up in the Northeast, but allowed us to help hopefully get prices lower and take better control of our, of our supply chain. No airline had ever done that. Uh, wow. We've done it. We, could, we run it today. It's a 200,000 barrel refinery. It's one of the larger refineries in the country. Uh, people say, what's an airline doing running a refinery when the refinery business itself couldn't make money. Well, we, we needed the supply, and so we had a natural reason to go out and acquire it, and it's, uh, it's worked really well for us. Wow, great move. The, now, I want to talk a little bit about uh, technology. The information age has obviously changed the travel business dramatically, and, and, and especially with everything that has happened recently, I mean, even with a couple of airlines that were in the news uh, uh, not too long ago here, with uh, taking some major heat in the social media, on Twitter, Instagram. What has been the biggest challenge for the airline business in regards to, to social media, especially the cell phone, uh, instant they can capture anything that's going on? How has Delta navigated that issue? Well, it's, it's one we're all learning. We're learning as a society. It's not just as, a, as an airline. You know, we now have in our, on our planes, we have, we have millions of people that are, you know, amateur videographers. You know, the, the, the moment anything happens on an airplane or in an airport or place anywhere in general, you know, the cameras go up. You know, everybody puts their phone up and wants to see what they can capture. You know, our people are used to performing in front of crowds. Uh, you know, our, our, our flight attendants are used to performing in front of a couple hundred people many times every day or in the airports thousands of people. We serve almost 200 million people a year. So we're out in front of people. We're very comfortable being out in front of people. But what's, what's new is that the, the, the amplification that occurs between taking that, that snippet and then and, 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 you know, social media will only take this, the, the part of the, part of the, um, of the, the video that, that you know, is the most provocative. You, know, you lose context a lot of times in terms of what's happening. Uh, we, we've learned from it. We, we have protocols. Uh, if the moment something, some type of 
of uh, situation arises on a plane, our, our pilots, our captain is in charge at all times of what happens on the plane. He has a, he has a lifeline back in Atlanta to call. You know, we, we've always had that in our operations control center, but we get people together and we, and, we, and we huddle and we understand what's happening. And if there's some discussion or some decision that needs to be made, they're not making it by themselves. They're making it with the support of the team back in Atlanta. And I think we do, we do a really good job of that. You know, we're never gonna get it perfect. Um, yeah, I, I, know, I know a bunch of airlines have had a bunch of challenges you know, recently in the last number of weeks, particularly uh, United has, which you, know, you shake your head at and wonder how can that happen? Uh, we all do that. But you know, the, the reality is, is that we have to have people that, are, that, you know, that know that we've got their back that they know that we're going to support them in making the in getting to the right decision, and then when they do make a decision, we'll be there for them. We're not going to leave them and hang them out to dry. You know, we, you know, you, trust is such an important part of running a company our size of eighty thousand people. You know, we we don't have people that show up in an office and report to, to work every single day. We have people that show up and take airplanes and fly them around the world and, and are, have to return them in a few days time you know, with live souls on them and, and you know, small self-directed teams. And they have to, they have, they're very skilled at, at, at training for the times when things don't go right. You know, on a beautiful day like today in Lakeland, it was easy, it's easy to fly. But you know, when there's weather, when there's a disruption, when there's some political act, something's going on in the world. That's what we train our people for, is, is those disruptions. And you know, when you think about your own travel experiences, most people don't remember the perfect experiences. You know, we, we just kind of put that in the, in the check column. People will always t remember, and people tell me their airline stories of when something didn't go right. And usually what we did to make it right, that's memorable. And that's how you build trust and you build relationships. And, and that's what our, we train our people to do. We, we live in a day and age where uh, it seems that business um, and culture, I mean, changing faster than ever. What framework do you have in place to ensure that Delta stays ahead of the competition while not chasing the wrong trends? Well, the, the best way to do that is making certain that your customers prefer your brand and are loyal to you. And uh, I'm pleased to say that we are leading not just the U.S. industry and that we're leading the global industry. We had the most successful year of any airline on the globe last year in 2017, operationally. We had 242 days this past year without a cancellation worldwide. Wow. for any reason. If you were to add all the cancellations of our, our competitors together, we had twice as many cancel-free days as they had combined. Um, and then we, we run the most on-time airline. We've got the fewest you know, mishandled bags. I always say, miss, we always know where your bags are. We just mishandle them from time to time. They're never lost. <laughs> They're never lost. We might misplace them, but we always find them. Um, but, but to that end, we've invested in RFID te chip technology. We've, we put $100 million into and we're again the only airline that's done that. So we've got RFID chips so our, our customers can actually watch where their bags are at all times on our Delta app. We'll have customers that will be sitting on our plane, will sit there watching their bag as it's loading onto the plane and they'll, they'll check on it to make sure it's still there as they're traveling, they'll watch it kind of and, and into its journey, which, which is important. You know, we all, we all travel a lot. I travel almost every day of the week. Uh, I, I understand the importance of, of knowing where your stuff is. Um, and, and so we're, we're, we're working on there. So there's always things that we can continue to, to improve on. Yes, we keep our eyes on the competition, but I, I primarily keep, keep my eyes on our customers and what we can do to continue to improve. I know a lot of our competitors are trying to get to where Delta is today, 
my goal for our team is to go where they, they don't know where we're going and continue to, to, uh, to lead the, lead the uh, effort forward. We have, a, we have a phrase, a motto, a tagline at Delta. When you see any of our advertising campaigns, it always says, keep climbing. That's behind everything that we put out. We, we, we adopted that 10 years ago when we went through the restructuring. We said, we're, we're going to get better. We knew we weren't very good then. We're going to get better. We're going to continue to improve. And we're going to continue to maintain that as long as I'm around, which hopefully is still quite a, quite a long time yet to come, because it's what we do. We, we continue to climb, continue to get better, and we continue to improve for our customers every day. What do you think are some of the things that most leaders don't really understand about marketplace competition as they do lead an organization and set culture and, and create an environment that empowers? I think in today's um, business world, and, and, and it, you know, there, there's changes happening at all. There's changes happening faster today than ever in our history. And it will continue to, to accelerate in terms of the speed of change. And I think the risk is getting caught up in that change is that not understanding what it, what's really important to your customers to do a great job. And people tend to, to chase shiny objects or get distracted by, by certain new technology or wanting to be on the cutting edge of something. I, I generally call that the bleeding edge of something rather than the cutting edge because you, you, you oftentimes those are the casualties. You learn from others and you continue to take them and, and learn from them for yourself going forward. But you know, really understanding who you are, really understanding why you're having the success you're having and continuing to feed that. And for me, it's our people. Really understanding and listening to our people as to what it is. You know, I, I look at my job as serving our people so that our people can then serve our customers. And our people have the right ideas. Our people know what's happening. And if you ever lose sight, and that's why I left the company 15 years ago, is because we stopped listening to the people that knew best. And you know, when we got it back around, then we turned it around, we started listening once again, and we've taken off and never looked back since. So, so really understanding your business, understanding your people, and making certain you stay true to what's, what's gotten you where you're at, and continuing to feed it. And, and the opportunities and the ideas will come, but you never lose sight of your core. Right. And that's what I love about Delta, because you are very contextual, contextual with, with the team that, that you work with, but contextual in understanding the mindset of, of your customer. And, and what's important. And I, and I wanna talk a little bit again about your culture that, because it is so contagious, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And it really can be seen, I think, in the way that you have handled mergers even, uh, like you did with Northwest uh, Airlines. Talk to us about how, uh, how you keep that culture, especially with, with employees of Delta, so strong and vibrant and, and keep it contagious. Well, it's a, it's a highly engaged culture because we want our people highly engaged with customers. As the leader of the company, I need to be highly engaged with our people and customers too, but, but our people. So I spend every week on, on many places with large groups of our people. You know, that's, that's, what, I, that's what I do now. I don't, I don't have to do anything in terms of you know, all the actual technical aspects of the job people take care of. You know, I don't fly planes. I'm not a pilot. I don't, I don't know how to actually actually write a ticket. I could never write a ticket. You know, I could never actually board a plane. I don't quite know how to do all that stuff. But what I do know is to how to be visible for our people and, be, be, and to, to, to hear them and to see them and to touch them and to be there for them, which is what they, what they really want. Because again, they want to know from the leadership 
who you are, who we are, where we're going. Um, today's society with social media gives you opportunities to do that like never before. You don't sit and write a memo and then circulate it and mail it to everybody's homes. You know, we don't do that anymore. You know, we have, we, I'll, I'll do it several times a week. I'll do little video snippets and I'll put it on our internet. And so people can kind of watch and, and I'll just talk. And about what's happening, what's going on, where we're at. We're, we're a company and, and, and a, a, we provide a product and a service that's very visible in the world at large. We're always on the front, front page of something. And so our people want to know what's going on because their customers ask them what's going on. And so I'll keep them current and they get to know me through that process. And so when they get to see me in person and spend time with me, it gives them a chance to feel like they're connected. They're connected as a team. And it's having that, that, that focus and that high engagement and the energy that they draw from it. And by the way, I draw my energy from them. That keeps me going. That's what keeps this whole thing going. Now, I have heard, and I, and I want you to confirm this, I have heard one of the best days to travel with Delta is actually on Valentine's Day. It is the best and, day to travel. And the reason why that is, is that's when you bonus your employees on Valentine's Day. So what, what does, in, how, how do incentives like that play in developing your team? Well, we, um, back again, back to the restructuring, when the company was 15 years ago losing the kind of money it was and there was a lot of loss of hope in the process, we made a promise to our people that they would get the first fruits of the returns. Once we started to become profitable again, we'd put 15% of the profits to the employees and they'd get paid first. Not the managers, but the employees. And we, we, we eventually got it turned around and we started paying, it was small in the early years, but this past year we paid $1.1 billion to our people and we always wow. paid on Valentine's Day. And it's 80,000 people, 1.1 billion, you can do the math, it's a lot of money to a lot of people. And we distribute it and it's the fourth year in a row that we've distributed over a billion dollars in the profit share. And we've been unable to find any company anywhere in the world that's done a billion dollars once. We've done it now four years and we're very proud of it. And, and what it does is it not only rewards our people for the good work that they're doing, it just keeps them focused on what we need to do to keep getting better. Right, you have that alignment. So the question isn't, when's my next raise coming? The question is, what can we do better? Because I know I get more out of my profit sharing than maybe a two or three percent raise, and that's and that's where we want people. And we do the raises too, but that's that's where we want the focus. And it's a it's a it's a great day to fly Delta, and so that's why we pick Valentine's Day every year to uh, distribute it. We always can look forward to that. Now let's let's talk a little bit about diversity because that's a significant issue. Um, Diversity seems to be a big focus um, under your leadership in, in Delta. How has this initiative evolved uh, in the company over the last 20 years? How does Delta ensure that diversity uh, is within the entire organization? Well, we are a, we're an international company. We, we serve 200 million customers a year. You know, my, my belief, our belief is that our employee base needs to reflect our customer base. Uh, in, in all aspects of, of diversity and inclusion. And it's, it's challenging because, you know, the pipelines aren't where they need to be, so we're spending a lot of time, how do you get the pipelines 
invested in so that you're, you're cultivating and bringing more diversity into the leadership levels. We don't have diversity by and large in total numbers amongst our employees, but we do have in, in the leadership ranks, we don't have quite yet the level of diversity that we need to reflect either our employee base at large or our customer base at large. Um, we set targets for ourselves. We talk to our board very openly about it. We're, I think we're past the age of people worrying about targets as being, uh, uh, you know, people are getting quotas. This is not a quota system. This is the right thing to do. And I'm a firm believer, if you, take, if you really believe in taking care of your people, you're taking care of all your people, not just some of your right. people that, that, you're, that, you, that you happen to know better. And, and in, in, that, in that regard, you know, I own that responsibility myself as, as the leader of the company to reflect that in any of the hiring decisions that we take. What, so what would be a, a, a good intentional framework to begin building that diversity? Just you know, two or three things that you've actually feel like that you're very intentional in creating that. Well, first of all, you need to know where you're sitting at. You know, we spend time analyzing it and understanding in great detail where we are by individual work category and, and division. You know, we have a lot of big divisions within the company and understanding that. You know, for us, our pilots, our pilots are probably the least diverse organization. A lot of them came through the military. A lot of them, it's a, it's a white male dominated uh, profession. I'll, it, I know there's probably some pilots in the room I may offend, but I always get, feel more comfortable when there's at least one woman in the cockpit because uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I know the attention to detail that, that, our, that our women play in, in life and whatnot. So, so we're trying to, we're investing in, in places where we have women uh, in the pilot and aviation sectors, uh, minorities that come into the, the, the aviation sector. We're working in all of those, those different fields to help them invest and grow the talent. But you know, first of all, you need to know where you're starting from. So the pilots is the most difficult, so we know that's where we have the, the longest to go, so we're investing the heaviest in terms of working with the schools and the organizations that, that drive pilot, the piloting profession across a broader cross-section of our society. We're spending a lot of time you know, making commitments to when, when we hire, certainly at any senior level in the company, that we have a diverse slate. You know, again, it's, you know, it's, it's it, you know, people you know, need to, need to open, be open and transparent about how decisions get taken around hiring. We have, I'm, I'm very proud to, you know, the, a lot of, a lot of the focus, this is on equality pay, you know, in terms of level pay. I'm, I'm very proud of our company. We are at the 99 percentile in terms of equality of pay across all gender. And, and, and that's, and that, again, another thing that I'm very, very proud of in our company. So, so we, we, we do live in a diverse and inclusive society and we've got to reflect that. How do you, uh, I mean, in terms of the way you create culture, uh, the way that you empower, the way that you come alongside and value the diversity that you've created, how do you celebrate together as an organization? Because celebrating is what keeps it strong and healthy. Uh, celebrating is, is a huge part of, of motivating the next level of success. So one way to celebrate is the profit sharing day on Valentine's Day, we'll have parties, I probably that day I probably go to 20 parties over the course of a, so I'm not a very good Valentine's Day date you know by the time I get home I'm just wiped out because I've been all over the place uh, in terms of celebrating the success we have on that day uh, but we've got we've got a um, we've got a culture in the company that that is focused on you know each other you know taking care of our colleagues and our people so we'll celebrate all different all different vehicles one of one of the ways we celebrate is we have what we call our chairman's club and it's the top 100 people in the company. 
and we do it every year. It's peer nominated, it's all, and it's all frontline, no, no managers. It's all the, 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 the people that you know and see on your aircraft or airports or you talk to on, on the reservation lines. You know, they're, they're peer nominated, and we have a big process to determine who are the 100 best every single year, and we, we welcome them. We do a big black tie event in Atlanta at our museum each year to celebrate them. We bring them in. We take them uh, with great pride in terms of treating them and, and making them the stars of the day and the stars of the weekend, and we, 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 we give them that. And then we, we, we have special prizes and events for them. You know, they get trips all over the world. Uh, this year, one of the special prizes actually was, again, it was a, it was a Florida a local, uh, a local surprise. We had never had uh, any external person come and speak at the event, at the big dinner celebration. And this year I said, I, I wanted to find a person that reflects and who's a great customer, who reflects the spirit of Delta. Because if you were to ask me what the spirit of our company is, it's a very humble culture. You know, we're a people business. And if you're in the people business, you have to have a humble heart or else you're not going to be very good at it. You know, no one's going to want to follow a, 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 a brag or a bold or you know, someone that's not focused on taking care of all of our people. And that's somebody that's humble, but also someone's got a fierce determination to succeed. And sometimes people see that as paradoxical. You know, you can you can be you can fight hard, but still be of humble spirit. And so I, from the stage, and they didn't know any, no one in the company knew I was doing this, um, including the organizers of the event. They they said, I want to bring out somebody and have them uh, speak to you about what it means to be a great leader and how important Delta is. And I brought out Tim Tebow, and uh, had Tim come. You know, as another Gator, and and have him come. And you know, people just kind of went crazy. You know. Because Tim is that—that's that's who Tim is. You know, he's—he's the—he's a—he's a humble person. You know, people like him, people don't like him, but you can never you know, question where his heart and where his focus is. And uh, that's just another example. And you know, our people—they—they they spent all night taking pictures with him and, and celebrating. We had a great time that night. Uh, two more questions, and then I want to close with a, a fast lightning round, quick, quick answers. But um, in leadership, sometimes you have to make some tough calls. Tough calls that you know may not be popular. Tough calls that, but you know in your heart and you know uh, in, in your values, you feel and believe that's the right call. So, so for example, just after the, the horrific incident in, in Parkland Delta, along with some other major companies decided to halt the discount program offered to NRA members attending their, their convention. As I'm sure you expected, um, there, that decision did cause some backlash. But as a leader, you, you do have to make decisions that you know may upset people, but you know it might be the right thing to do. How do, how do you navigate that? And, and what goes into that decision-making process? Well, we've, we've been on the headlines for the last couple of weeks on that, on that, on that decision. And yeah, they're, they're hard. Um, there's no, there's, if it was easy, you know, we wouldn't be talking about it. But when we saw the... I would say, you know, it's, it's the insensitive comments that were coming and, and kind of the, the inflamed rhetoric that was coming out following the Parkland shootings, which is just horrible. And I, I didn't even know we had a discount program for people to travel to the NRA convention. It, when I found out and when we looked on the website, um, we said, we can't be there, you know, because we're implicitly endorsing those statements. You know, we're not 
we are we are huge proponents of the, of the Second Amendment, and we support that entirely. We are also huge proponents of the First Amendment in terms of having voice in the process, and we want to make sure our kids' voices are heard, not just the voice of the people with the money and the, and the lobby organizations. And so we pulled away, as did a number of organizations. The thing that put Delta on the headlines, though, is that in Georgia, we were under, there was a, a jet fuel tax exemption, which the state legislature had approved, and the governor was about ready to sign into law, and it was a lot of money. It was $40 million a year. It's a lot of money. Even when you're making a lot of money, it's a lot of money. And the moment we made that decision, I knew we'd be putting that at risk because I knew where the where a lot of the the uh, the Georgia politics you know would would go to you know with NR, they all want the NRA endorsements they would come back to the West with fury and challenge us as they did they challenged us publicly and said unless you reverse your position on this we're not going to give you the money and I said well you can keep your money you know we're not going to change our position we're, we've got a voice in this process and we're the only company a lot of companies made these decisions we're the only company that turned down 40 million dollars a year that we already had, but, but our company is worth so much more. Our, there's no price on our values. There's no price tag on that. And while it was something that wasn't easy to do, and there were a lot of people that were upset on both sides of the issue, I think people respected the fact that we stood our ground. We, we exercised our First Amendment rights, just as you know, people have the opportunity to exercise their Second Amendment rights, and we, we followed what we thought was true. Thank you. Uh, one quick question on do the lightning round. What, uh, we have a lot of leaders here um, that are leading companies, business organizations. Give us um, parting wisdom to encourage them to be strong and courageous in what they are called to do. Well, it's, uh, it really is about people, and I sound like a broken record, but you know, my, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the people that, that surround me, the people that have invested in me, the people that you, know, you, you return it, you invest in, that then come back to you and, and, and feed you along the way. Um, you can never, ever, ever do enough. You know, for your people in, in that respect. I, uh, I, you know, I, you know, it's funny, we're, we're an airline and we spent this whole time talking, I don't think I mentioned airplanes once, all right? You didn't see me mention that once, or some of the cutting edge technology, or I talked about people all the time. We're a service organization, and everyone in our company ref, you know, reflects that, that it's about taking care of people. And you've got to, you've got to live that out. And it's not, again, it's not easy. And something in my position, I have to live that out on the global stage, on on the front page of newspapers. And you know, I, I'm not comfortable doing that at times, but you got to do it because that's what your people you know need from you, and we need to continue to feed them. So I'd say, first and foremost, it, it's it is about people. Um, and second, I, I'd say it's 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 keeping your you know just kind of understand. We spent a lot of time this past year with Jim Collins, the the great leader, the writer of leadership books and Good to Great. And in fact, I talked to him yesterday at great length about something. Um, you know, he said at Delta, and which which really stuck with me. You know, he said, you know, you're because he's 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 I think he's the foremost strategist. In, uh, in, in the business world. And you know, his book, Good to Great, you know, 15 years ago was a timeless classic. I just read it for the fourth time uh, the other day. I finished it. Um, but what he said at Delta, he says, your, your strategy is your culture. 
It's not about you know, some highly sophisticated, you know, you gotta simplify it. You gotta kinda get down to what's at core. And the better you do kinda keep focused on having that great culture, you're not gonna have incidents like some of the other carriers have at the other airlines. It's gonna keep you on top. And Delta is on top of the industry by a good measure. And we're gonna continue to stay on top because we're gonna keep feeding that culture. And we saw the, the, the outcome of that you know, 15 years ago when we went bust, we lost focus on our people. We're back now in that regard. All right, three lightning round questions. Real quick, you, you have a day when your calendar's cleared, you've been mandated by your company, you have to have a perfect day off. What's a perfect day look like? Well, first of all, that's never gonna happen, but uh, <laughs> I'll make it up. Uh, perfect day off for me would be, I've, I've got our second homes over in West Palm Beach, I'd be in our home in West Palm Beach, I'd have a, a number of my family and friend over, I may play around the golf and just, and just enjoy being around people I love. Oh, sounds so good. All right. Uh, historical leader, living or dead, would you most like to have coffee with? Uh, Winston Churchill. All right. What's your next big dream? My next big dream? Uh, well, I'm, tra I'm, tra I'm running the New York Marathon this November. Wow. And, uh, you know, you talk about discipline. You, you started this conversation about discipline. I ran the, I ran a, the New York Marathon. I'm not a long, I'm not a marathon runner, okay? Then don't, don't, don't misread this. I, I ran it four years ago, and I raised a whole lot of money for a, a childhood cancer research uh, uh, organization in Atlanta and, and, and did well. And I ran it to raise the money, but I more importantly ran it for myself in terms of my mental discipline and, and keeping myself sharp and fighting through challenge. And uh, I decided it's time to do it again. I'm gonna, I'm actually I'm committed to raising over a million dollars from the uh, run. I sold my body for a million dollars, I told people. <laughs> uh, but I'm, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do a lot of good, good with that for the kids, but also for my mind. It keeps you, keeps you sharp. Show your appreciation, Ed Baskin. To connect with Kent, visit kentingle.com. Also make sure to follow him on Twitter at Kent Ingle and on Facebook at Kent.ingle. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership.